The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. Out of all 66 books in the Bible, only two are named for women. One is the book of Esther and her exploits as a Jewish queen. The other book is named after a Gentile woman named Ruth. But who was Ruth and why should the story of a Gentile be read, especially on the Jewish holiday of Shavuot, what we know as Pentecost, the day when Jews celebrate the giving of their sacred Torah laws? I'll explore some of the secrets behind the biblical story of Ruth and how the coming of Jesus the Messiah is foreshadowed in its short pages. Hello, I'm Christine Darg. The Little Book of Ruth is read publicly during the Jewish festival of Shavuot. Pentecost in English, because it records the ancestry of King David. Both the birthday of David as well as the death of David are commemorated during Shavuot, and Ruth was David's great-grandmother. She was one of three foreign women whose names are preserved in the genealogy of Jesus. The colorful and romantic story of Ruth unfolds against the background of the barley harvest in ancient Judea. Shavuot falls in the spring harvest season, and the holiday is defined by the Torah as the culmination of a seven-week countdown beginning at Passover with the first barley harvest. The biblical commandment to allow poor people and foreigners to glean the leftover stalks of grain that fall to the ground during the harvest plays an important role in the story. According to the rabbis, Ruth was the quintessential righteous convert. Christian theologians see Ruth as a picture of former Gentiles who are grafted into the Israel of God through faith in Jesus, our kinsman redeemer. As a supplement to the turbulent book of Judges, the little scroll of Ruth provides by contrast a calm oasis, a picture of domestic life in the Bible. As the first fruits of the Gentiles, Ruth is included in the canon of Scripture to give us a picture of God's intention that believing Gentiles should be incorporated into God's olive tree as living branches partaking of the root and sap of the Jewish patriarchs. The little four-chapter book contains some of the most beautiful words of love ever recorded, and they're often sung at weddings. The story begins in Bethlehem, the little town in Judah, where centuries later the Savior Jesus would be born. But ironically, even though Bethlehem in Hebrew means house of bread, there was a famine in the land. Now, according to Torah, famine is often a punishment from heaven for disobedience and sin. A family of Bethlehem of the tribe of Judah, Elimelech and his wife Naomi, decided to leave town because of hard times, and they wandered into the neighboring country of Moab. Sages and theologians have debated, was Elimelech wise to uproot his family and leave Bethlehem? My father of blessed memory was a man of God 
and I recall how he often counseled people never to move to another place, just to take a better job, if there was not a good church or fellowship in that town, because we should protect ourselves by seeking first the kingdom of God, and then everything else will be added to us by God. Well, Elimelech nevertheless decided to wander into hostile pagan terrain. Moab or Moab in Hebrew means from father because the Moabites sprang from the incestuous union of Abraham's nephew Lot with Lot's two daughters. After the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot's daughters erroneously thought that they should repopulate the region by becoming impregnated by their father. So they got him drunk, and their resulting offspring, Moab and Ammon, were sons of incest. The Moabite gods, Moloch and Baal Peor, became incarnations of lust and cruelty. The demons behind those idols demanded human sacrifice. Innocent babies were thrown, sacrificed, thrown into the idol's burning arms. In the midst of this evil and unclean atmosphere, a refugee's family from Bethlehem fell on even harder times. All three men in the family, the father and the two sons, died in Moab. The name Elimelech means, my God is king. And if he had taken to heart the prophetic name his parents had given him, Elimelech may not have lost faith to forsake the land of his fathers. From the testimony of his own name, he should have known that his God would supply all of his family's needs. Others in his clan remained in Bethlehem and trusted the God of their fathers. By the way, Naomi means pleasant. But now life was harsh due to the terrible changes in her circumstances, having lost her husband and her two sons within a decade. The sages say that the decision to immigrate from Judea led Elimelech's family to deteriorate spiritually to the point that their two sons intermarried with Moabite women. The prohibition from allowing a Moabite to enter into the Jewish covenant stemmed from the Moabites' refusal to offer bread and water to the wandering Israelites. After their deliverance from Egyptian slavery on their way to the Promised Land, the Israelites had to pass by the territory of Moab and Ammon, but both territories refused to greet the Jews with food and drink. Ammon and Moab were Lot's sons, but their descendants had now forgotten Lot's enduring debt to Abraham, and they sinned by refusing refreshments to their distant cousins, the Israelites. Therefore, the death of Elimelech and his sons in Moabite country was seen as a judgment by God. For example, Psalm 106 recalls the consequences when the Israelites despised the pleasant land. It says that they didn't believe the Lord's promise, but they grumbled in their tents and didn't obey the Lord. So he swore to them with uplifted hand that they would fall in the wilderness. Time and time again, the Israelites commingled with the other nations and adopted their pagan customs. So how do we account for the bright side of the story? The fact that 
Ruth, the Moabite daughter-in-law, became engrafted into Israel and even into his royal messianic line. Well, Psalm 106 also reminds us that despite the failures of the Israelites, God is nevertheless a covenant-keeping God. Many times he delivered the Israelites, even though they were bent on rebellion. He took note of their distress and remembered his covenant. Out of his great love, he repeatedly showed mercy. And the story of Ruth is definitely a picture of the mercy and sovereignty of God. Naomi had heard that there was bread once again back in Bethlehem, the house of bread. So she decided to leave Moab and return to the land of Judah. As Naomi began her journey, both her daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth, followed her. Naomi tried to dissuade them from following after her. She said very graciously to them, Go, return each of you to your mother's house, and may the Lord deal loyally with you, just as you both have dealt loyally with the dead and with me. So Naomi kissed them both goodbye and prayed that they'd find happiness with new husbands. They all wept, and reluctantly Orpah returned back to her own country. You see, Orpah is a Bible picture of those who missed the mark, those who are almost persuaded to follow the truth, but who, sadly, like the rich young ruler in the New Testament, turn away, the cost being too great. Look, Naomi said to Ruth, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Return with her. But Ruth clung to Naomi, saying those extraordinarily beautiful, immortal words in chapter 1. Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. Then Ruth made a vow by the name of the God of Israel. She said, The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. According to this, the Midrash said that that was Ruth's pronouncement to convert to the God of Israel, no matter what was the cost, so that she could adopt a true spiritual life. As the old hymn goes, the cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back. Now, which of the two widows do you think was the most noble? Naomi for releasing her daughters-in-law and wishing them well while continuing to journey alone? Or was Ruth the more valiant for hitching her fate to an aging widow to whom she had no legal obligation as far as her culture was concerned. Ruth's vow is strong and praiseworthy, but in praising Ruth, we shouldn't forget Naomi's unselfish pleading for the girls to start a new life without her. But it was through Naomi's family that Ruth had learned about the God of Israel, and she wasn't willing to forfeit her relationship with God. Perhaps Ruth feared that she would lose contact with the God of Israel, and for that reason she clung to her mentor, Naomi. Ruth's resolve is a shining example to all truth seekers. Naomi had taught both daughters-in-law spiritual values to the point that both of them loved and admired her. 
But as Ruth's future husband, Boaz, commended her in chapter 2, verse 12, Ruth chose the better part to seek refuge under the wings of the God of Israel. Orpah has shrunk back. And Hebrews 10, 38 warns us, If any shrink back, God's soul has no pleasure in him because God demands, My righteous one shall live by faith. So by faith, Ruth carried on with Naomi to seek shelter under the wings of the God of Israel. Now, after 10 years of living outside the land, Naomi reached Bethlehem just at the time of the barley harvest. She was no doubt dusty, dirty, and downcast, but the gossip of the local women, can this be Naomi, came across as mean-spirited. Old wounds were reopened, And if we're not careful when we're exhausted, our faith can easily wilt and waver. So Naomi torted, don't call me Naomi, which means pleasantness. She said, call me Mara, which means bitterness, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. This was her pity party. She said, I went away full. But wait a minute, her family had abandoned the house of bread because they weren't full. But now she complains, I return empty. Was she really empty? She had, after all, returned with Ruth, who was a treasure greater than seven sons. God help us never to be rash in seeing our present circumstances only. Well, the barley harvest was the time of the Passover and Shavuot. Ruth, this young convert from the Gentiles, comes to Bethlehem as the first fruits of the Gentile harvest. What a prophetic picture. The Midrash teaches that the town had gathered on that very same day to attend the funeral of the wife of Boaz, the leader and town judge. But as the townspeople beheld Naomi, now widowed, impoverished, and with a Moabite girl in tow, they were shocked and perhaps a little pleased at her family's downfall because of their previous defection. However, Boaz, the family's relative, saw the picture correctly by observing that Ruth had chosen wisely to come under the protection of Israel's God. What was about to happen was no coincidence. Ruth would win the favor and attraction of Boaz, who just happened to be one of Naomi's family's closest relatives. Not only that, But Boaz was, as Naomi knew, one of the family redeemers. That word redeemer or kinsman redeemer in Hebrew is goel, a fascinating Hebrew concept and a foreshadowing of the Savior in the Hebrew scriptures. Goel comes from the word to redeem, hence meaning redeemer. In the Hebrew Bible, the kinsman redeemer was the nearest relative charged with the duty of restoring the rights of another and avenging wrongs. For example, when a married man died and left no children, the dead man's brother or next closest relative was duty-bound to marry his widow. This type of marriage is called a leveret marriage, and the widow is also obligated to marry her deceased husband's brother. If the leveret marriage produced children, The first son filled the void of the dead brother, inheriting his estate in Israel. 
The kinsmen thus redeemed the name and memory of the deceased. So now our Ruth was a widow of a Jewish man who had left no children. His brother and his father were also dead and childless. So the family had no continuity and would lose their land when Naomi died, unless a close relative would agree to marry Ruth and fulfill the family obligation. Boaz didn't seem to realize that he had a decision to make to solve the predicament of Naomi and Ruth. There was also the matter of bringing a widow from Moab into the clan's gene pool. However, the Jewish sages teach that in the days of Boaz's leadership, the Jewish high court, the Sanhedrin, ruled that the prohibition against Moabite converts applied only to male Moabites and not to females. The reason being that only the Moabite men had refused hospitality to the Israelites on their way to the promised land. This is because women tended to stay at home and couldn't be blamed for not welcoming the Israelites with food and drink as they passed by. For whatever reason, there was now no objection for Boaz to marry the widow of his cousin and to perform the duties of the kinsman redeemer. Under Jewish law, the redeemer is a type of the gospel of Jesus the Messiah. It was the duty of the goel to redeem situations of loss of life or loss of inheritance. But only a kinsman could fill the office of Goel, the Redeemer. This is why Jesus fulfilled this type foreshadowed in the Hebrew Scriptures, because He emptied Himself of heaven and became like ourselves on all points except sin. This message of the Goel, the kinsman Redeemer, is pure gospel gold foretold in the Hebrew Bible. God is our Father, Jesus is our elder brother, and our brothers and sisters in the faith are our true family. We lay down our lives for one another, just as Jesus laid down His life to redeem us with His own blood. While Ruth's servant's heart took her out into the fields to glean food for herself and Naomi, gleaning is also part of the law of God. Leviticus 23.22 is a command that when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap to the very corners of your field, nor gather the gleaning of your harvest. You are to leave gleanings for the needy and the alien. I am the Lord your God. Divine guidance led Ruth to glean in Boaz's field. The sages say that Boaz may have felt some pangs of guilt for not taking up responsibility for his relatives. So he instructed the field hands to drop sheaves of grain on purpose for Ruth. Boaz demonstrated some extra kindnesses to her, which encouraged Naomi to believe that this was a match made in heaven. But time was running out. The harvest season allowing Ruth to visit Boaz's field wouldn't last forever. So Naomi schemed a rather bold and cheeky plan. She suggested that in the night, when the harvester slept in the field, Ruth should sneak in and lie down at the feet of Boaz. This action would prompt a marriage proposal. Ruth must have thought the plan was risky, yet she totally relied upon Naomi's understanding of the ways of the God of Israel. And so Ruth replied obediently, I'll do whatever you say. 
Ruth surely found Boaz's generosity attractive, but according to the Talmud, he was quite elderly. And so Ruth appeared to be motivated to pursue him to maintain the name of the dead and the family's property. But in caring about the welfare of others, is it any coincidence that Ruth unknowingly was putting herself into the family tree of the most famous royal family in the world? the Messianic dynasty of David. Well, Boaz woke up at midnight to discover a woman sleeping at his feet. He demanded to know who she was. And Ruth said, I'm Ruth, your maidservant. Spread your cloak over me, since you're our kinsman redeemer. Boaz woke up to the reality that he had neglected his duty. And he could only now praise Ruth for her boldness in confronting him to marry her. He assures her, Blessed are you to God, my daughter, because you've done more kindness now in not going after the young men than your first kindness to accompany your mother-in-law to Israel. Well, in the final chapter in Ruth 4, the Jewish elders bestowed a special blessing giving a foreigner the ultimate compliment and praise that Ruth should be like the matriarchs of the Israeli nation, like Rachel and Leah. Now, by marrying into the royal line, Ruth was building the monarchy of Israel. It's so interesting that in Ruth 4.12, the elders and all the people at the gate bestowed another blessing on Boaz, that he should become famous in Bethlehem and that through the offspring the Lord would give him by this young woman. His family would be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. Thus the elders and the people likened Ruth also to the brave and very bold woman Tamar in the book of Genesis. Tamar was the daughter-in-law twice of the patriarch Judah, as well as the mother of his twins, Perez and Zerah. Tamar had to disguise herself in order to force Judah to fulfill the obligations of a leveret marriage. Perez is identified in the book of Ruth as one of the ancestors of King David, along with her son Obed and grandson Jesse. Well, after their highly unusual marriage, the God of Israel granted them a pregnancy, and Ruth bore her son. The attitude of the women of Bethlehem changed toward Naomi, They no longer resented her for her family's previous desertion during the Depression, but now they bless God and Naomi, saying, Blessed is the Lord who hasn't left you this day without a Redeemer, that his name may be famous in Israel, and the child shall restore your youth and nourish you in your old age, for your daughter-in-law who loves you is better to you than seven sons. And they called the boy Obed, meaning worshiper or one who serves by worshiping. Obed became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of King David. The text says that Naomi laid the child in her bosom and became its nurse. So our Ruth gave the best years of her life to Naomi and gave her a grandchild through leveret marriage, assuring that the family line would continue. According to the Talmud, Ruth was rewarded with long life and merited to see her great-great-grandchild, King Solomon, 
ascend the throne. Well, I want to remind you that the Jewish people read the book of Ruth on Shavuot, the holiday that Christians call Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit fell in the upper room in Jerusalem. But it's also the time when the Jews remember the giving of the Torah. One rabbi explained that the book of Ruth is read because it's full of chesed, loving kindness, and the Torah is all about chesed, loving kindness. Proverbs 30 testifies of the virtuous woman that the law of kindness is on her lips. Well, let's summarize some of the things that we've learned about Naomi's character. Despite living in Moab, a land of idolatry, Naomi retained her faith in the living God and influenced others for good, as seen by the exemplary fruit in the life of her disciple, Ruth. Naomi's faith in the one true God influenced Ruth to the point that Ruth decided to join herself to the people of God. Naomi's chesed, loving kindness, saved Ruth from a life of idolatry and pulled her into the messianic line of Jesus. To summarize Ruth, she was the epitome of Christ-like self-sacrifice in loving kindness by serving her mother-in-law, and God honored her by making her an ancestor of the Messiah. Ruth bore a son through whom myriads around the world had been born again to God. And in being the ancestor of the Messiah, Ruth was instrumental in the happiness of everybody who has been saved by the Lord Jesus. Ruth was a testimony to the Gentile world that God hadn't forgotten the nations and that in due time, people from all nations should become joined with his chosen people and partake of his salvation. And what about Boaz? He was a gentleman and a kinsman redeemer, providing a good role model today for men to come forward and to take responsibility for the many fatherless homes in society. I think you'll agree that this little book of Ruth covers so many issues of domestic life. Perhaps you once had means, as Naomi did, but life has changed your circumstances. Perhaps you've become a widow and the future looks bleak. But the good news is that we all have a kinsman redeemer. The Savior is a real friend who sticks closer than a brother. I can only recommend the Lord Jesus to you today with all of my heart. Receive him in his chesed, his loving kindness now while there's yet time before his second coming. Ruth is an inspiring story, and if you would like to review it again, this is a reminder that all of our videos are available at any time at our website at exploits.tv. And please stay in touch through social media, and don't forget to invite your friends to watch our programs. Until next time, always contending for the faith, and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem. I'm Christine Dark. Shalom. What an amazing panorama of Jerusalem, the city of the great king. To the east is the Mount of Olives, and beyond that, the Judean wilderness, the Dead Sea, and the nation of Jordan, where presently 600,000 Syrian refugees have escaped. It's hard to imagine that right beyond this horizon, 
There is a holocaust going on amongst the Christian population of the Middle East. That's why the Jerusalem Channel has been created, to bring you a perspective of biblical events in the Middle East. When you visit our website every day, we have updates on news, prophecy, and what's happening and how it all tells us that Jesus is coming soon to establish His rule in this city. We want to invite you to become a supporter of the Jerusalem Channel. If you give in the United States, please know that your gift is tax deductible. And in the United Kingdom, we can claim gift aid on your donation. And so we invite you to get behind the Jerusalem Channel. There's never been a day like right now. We have so many opportunities to share the gospel in the remaining times of the Gentiles. Israel is rising again and God is visiting this nation. So stay in touch at exploits.tv. I'm Christine Doric. Shalom.